Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's a little stream from its dark bosom. There was an air of deep solitude and rugged majesty about this ravine that induced the wanderer to pause before entering it. Just then, certain sensations reminded him of the two biscuits in his pocket, so he sat down on a rock and prepared to dine. We say prepared to dine advisedly, for Captain Bunting had a pretty correct notion of what comfort meant and how it was to be attained. He had come out for the day to enjoy himself, and although his meal was frugal, he did not on that account eat it in an off-hand, easy way, while sauntering along, as many would have done, by no means. He brushed the surface of the rock on which he sat quite clean, and, laying the two biscuits on it, looked first at one and then at the other complacently, while he slowly and with great care cut his tobacco into delicate shreds and filled his pipe. Then he rose, and taking the tin prospecting pan from his belt, went and filled it at the clear rivulet which murmured at his feet, and placed it beside the biscuits on the rock. This done, he completed the filling of his pipe, and cast a look of benignity at the sun, which at that moment appeared in his course to pass an opening between two lofty peaks, which permitted him to throw a cloth of gold over the captain's table. Captain Bunting's mind now became imbued with those aspirations after knowledge which would have induced him, had he been at sea, to inquire, How's her head? So he pulled out his pocket compass, and having ascertained that his nose, when turned towards the sun, pointed exactly south-southwest and by south, he began dinner. Thereafter he lit his pipe, and, reclining on the green turf beside the rock, with his head resting on his left hand, and wreaths of smoke encircling his visage, he— he enjoyed himself. To elaborate a description reader often weakens it. We cannot say more than that he enjoyed himself emphatically. Had Captain Bunting known who was looking at him in that solitary place, he would not have enjoyed himself quite so much, nor would he have smoked his pipe so comfortably. On the summit of the precipice at his back stood, or rather sat, one of the natives of the country in the shape of a grizzly bear. Bruin had observed the captain from the time he appeared at the entrance of the ravine and had watched him with a curious expression of stupid interest during all his subsequent movements. He did not attempt to interrupt him in his meal, however, on two grounds. First, because the nature of the grizzly bear, if not molested, induces him to let others alone, and secondly, because the precipice on the top of which he sat although conveniently close for the purposes of observation, was too high for a safe jump. 
Thus it happened that Captain Bunting finished his meal in peace and went on his way up the wild ravine without being aware of the presence of so dangerous a spectator. He had not proceeded far when his attention was arrested by the figure of a man seated on a ledge of rock that overhung a yawning gulf into which the little stream plunged. So still did the figure remain with the head drooping on the chest, as if in deep contemplation, that it might have been mistaken for a statue cut out of the rock on which it sat. A deep shadow was cast over it by the neighboring mountain peaks, yet, as the white sheet of a waterfall formed the background, it was distinctly visible. The captain advanced towards it with some curiosity, and it was not until he was within a hundred yards that a movement at length proved it to be a living human being. The stranger rose hastily and advanced to meet a woman, who at the same time issued from an opening in the brushwood near him. The meeting was evidently disagreeable to the woman, although from the manner of it and the place, it did not seem to be accidental. She pushed the man away several times, but their words were inaudible to the captain, who began to feel all the discomfort of being an unintentional observer. Uncertainty as to what he should do induced him to remain for a few moments inactive, and he had half made up his mind to endeavor to retreat unobserved, when the man suddenly struck down the female, who fell with a faint cry to the earth. In another minute the captain was at the side of the dastardly fellow, whom he seized by the neck with the left hand, while with the right he administered a hearty blow to his ribs. The man turned round fiercely and grappled with his assailant and then Captain Bunting became aware that his antagonist was no other than Smith, alias Black Jim, the murderer. Smith, although a strong man, was no match for the captain who soon overpowered him. "'Ha! You villain, have I got you!' cried he as he almost throttled the man. "'Get up now and come along peaceably. If you don't, I'll knock your brains out with the butt of my gun.' He permitted Black Jim to rise as he spoke, but held him fast by the collar, having previously taken from him his knife and rifle. Black Jim did not open his lips, but the scowl on his visage showed that feelings of deadly hatred burned in his bosom. Meanwhile, the girl had recovered and now approached. "'Ah, please, sir,' she said, "'let him off. Sure, I don't mind the blow. It's done me no harm, won't you now?' "'Let him off!' exclaimed the captain violently. "'No, my good girl. If he has not murdered you, he has at any rate murdered one human being that I know of, and if I can, I'll bring him to justice.' Kate, for it was she, started at this reply and looked earnestly at the man who hung his head, and for the first time showed symptoms of a softer feeling. "'Ah, it's true, I see, and all hope is gone. If he'd commit a murder, he'd tell a lie, too.' I thought he spoke truth when he said Nellie was alive, but... The girl turned as she spoke and left the spot hurriedly, while the captain took out his pocket-handkerchief and began to fasten the arms of his prisoner behind him. But Black Jim was not to be secured without a struggle. Despair lent him energy and power. Darting forward, he endeavored to throw his captor down, and partially succeeded. But Captain Bunting's spirit was fully roused and, like most powerful men whose dispositions are habitually mild and peaceful, he was in a blaze of uncontrollable passion. For some time Black Jim writhed like a serpent in the strong grasp of his antagonist, and once or twice it seemed as if he would succeed in freeing himself, 
but the captain's hands had been trained for years to grasp and hold on with vice-like tenacity, and no efforts could disengage them. The two men swayed to and fro in their efforts, no sound escaping them, save an occasional gasp for breath, as they put forth renewed energy in the deadly struggle. At last, Black Jim began to give way. He was forced down on one knee, then he fell heavily on his side, and the captain placed his knee on his chest. Just then a peculiar hiss was heard behind them, and the captain, looking back, observed that a third party had come upon the scene. The grizzly bear, which has been described as watching Captain Bunting at dinner, had left its former position on the brow of the precipice, and, whether from motives of curiosity or by accident, we will not presume to say, had followed the captain's track. It now stood regarding the two men with an uncommonly ferocious aspect. Its indignation may perhaps be accounted for by the fact that they stood in the only path by which it could advance a precipice on one side and a thicket on the other rendering the passage difficult or impossible grizzlies are noted for their objection to turn out of their way for man or beast so the combatants no sooner beheld the ferocious-looking animal than they sprang up seized their weapons and fired together at their common enemy bruin shook his head uttered a savage growl and charged it seemed as if black jim had missed altogether not to be wondered at considering the circumstances and the mixture of shot and slugs from the blunderbuss was little more hurtful than a shower of hail to the thick-skinned monarch of these western hills. Be this as it may, the two men were compelled to turn and flee for their lives. Black Jim, being the nimbler of the two, was soon out of sight among the rocks of the precipices, and, we may remark in passing, he did not again make his appearance. Inwardly thanking the bear for its timely appearance, he ran at top speed into the mountains and hid himself among those wild, lonely recesses that are visited but rarely by man or beast. Captain Bunting endeavored to save himself by darting up the face of the precipice on his left, but the foothold was bad, and the bear proved about as nimble as himself, compelling him to leap down again and make for the nearest tree. In doing so, he tripped over a fallen branch and fell with stunning violence to the ground. He rose, however, instantly, and grasping the lower limb of a small oak, drew himself with some difficulty up among the branches. The bear came thundering on and reached the tree a few seconds later. It made several abortive efforts to ascend, and then, sitting down at the foot, it looked up, grinning and growling horribly in disappointed rage. The captain had dropped the blunderbuss in his fall, and now, with deep regret and not a little anxiety, found himself unarmed and a prisoner. True, his long knife was still in its place, but he was too well aware of the strength and ferocity of the grizzly bear, from hearsay and now from ocular demonstration, to entertain the idea of acting on the offensive with such a weapon. The sun sank behind the mountain peaks, and the shades of night began to fall upon the landscape and still did Captain Bunting and the bear sit, the one at the top and the other at the foot of the oak tree, looking at each other. As darkness came on, the form of the bear became indistinct and shadowy, and the captain's eyes waxed heavy.